Hey, Bree, how you doing? Hey, good and pretty good. How are you, Mario? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Hey, I was psyched to see you and Cameron climbing last week. How did uh, your session go? It was pretty good. Haven't been on ropes in a while. I feel like I just need to start training a little bit more again. What was that hangboard you mentioned to us? Uh, oh, it was a flashboard. And I think it's the best one because you can use it indoors. You can use it outdoors. It doesn't really matter where you use it. You can hang it on stuff. You don't have to mount it to your wall, so it's pretty dope. Oh, that's great because I feel like I can't put holes anywhere in my house, but yeah, that's awesome. Where can I get it? Uh, you can go to Tension's website and then and whenever you do, just drop in the promo code TENSIONSAS20. You'll get 20% off. You'll support the podcast and yeah, but then they'll get it to you on the quickness. Oh, sick. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Are you guys climbing again this weekend? Yeah, I think we'll hit up uh, maybe the new rope gym down in the design district. Oh, the new movement is finally open. Nice. Finally, after our long wait. I know. That's a long wait, but I'm excited. Well, I'm looking forward to climbing with both of you guys, and I'll see you guys this weekend. Yeah, I'll catch you later. Bye. Bye. Friends and enemies, lovers and haters, welcome to Sends and Suffers podcast. I am your host, Mario Stanley. If you haven't already, please follow, like, and subscribe to Sends and Suffers podcast. Every bit counts and we would love to hear from you. So take a moment to leave a comment. These go a long way and help others know what they're getting into and how good this show is. If this is one of your favorite podcasts, consider becoming a Patreon. For as little as $5 a month, you are investing in Sends and Suffers podcast, and it's like buying your boy a taco, hanging out, and getting to know the good good that is coming your way. Monthly recaps, early show releases, and all the other cool things that we do. Thank you so much for listening to Sends and Suffers podcast. Today's episode is with the owner, founder, co-creator of Blockworks Gym in Edmond, Oklahoma. And let me tell you, this is the best hidden gym in the South. I'm telling you, Oklahoma is just coming for it. It might not be your mega gym. It might not be your monolithic monster that you like, but what it lacks in size, it has in charisma, community, beauty, and just the most warmest, inviting place. It's like being invited to your friend's family dinner and you didn't even know you had these friends. That's the only way I know how to describe walking into that gym. Evan started out as a route setter and just worked his way into the climbing career and eventually realized he wanted to open a gym. I am so excited to share this episode with you. I aspire to maybe do something like this myself in my life one day, but I cannot wait for you guys to hear this episode. I would love for you to make a trip to Edmond, Oklahoma, if you have not already seen Blockworks Climbing Gym, you gotta do it if you're in the South. It's worth the drive. All right, I digress. 
let's get into the episode and enjoy my conversation with Evan. Uh, Evan, how are you? Good. Yeah. Glad to be here. Yeah, dude. I'm psyched to have you. Uh, Welcome to Sends and Suffers podcast. And thank you for inviting me in your beautiful gym. This place looks gorgeous. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. That's what it's here for. Uh, Yeah. So uh, who are you? Where are you from? And I, you know, what is your relationship to the outdoors and why did you create this masterful work of art? Um, that is a very long story. Uh, That's what we're here for. So the bullet points, like early on, uh, my name is Evan Small, uh, born and raised here in Edmond, Oklahoma. I'm a husband to Mariah Small. It's also one of my business partners. And, um, I'm a dad to two amazing kiddos, Willow, who is two and a half years old. And then Jude, who is four months. I, the outdoors has always been something that's like been a part of my life. Uh, I think just because. I was too crazy to keep inside. Uh, so my parents always kicked me outside and that's just what I did. So I also had really amazing parents that, uh, took me outside to the Wichita mountains in Oklahoma a lot and um, to go camping. And yeah, I think that that stuff was always like kind of just a part of our, I guess like lifestyle or something that my parents always, mm-hmm. they didn't encourage it, but like, I mean, it was what we did maybe once a year or twice a year. And then okay. yeah, later on in life, probably some stuff that we'll talk about. Uh, it just, I think just continued to develop. And after I quit college sports, I was like, okay, now I'm all in on the outdoors. And like, I think this is what I want. So but did you start <clears throat> climbing in the outdoors after you quitting college sports and what college sports did you quit? Yeah. So I, I saw climbing for the first time. Like, I think it was like tangible to me, uh, in Estes Park, Colorado, uh, at Lumpy Ridge. Yeah. So I went and saw a few friends, um, <clears throat> going backwards a little bit. I played college baseball for a semester uh, in Kansas. Mm-hmm. And then after about six months, I had an elbow injury that I was just like, man, this is, it was just pissing me off all the time. Uh, try, I didn't want to wake up at 5am and go to practice cause it was bothering me. And then also I was dating a girl back in Edmond, which was like a three hour drive. So yeah, it just seemed like the cards were against me. Um, and I think just at that stage, I was away from home for the very first time and um, finally decided to like call it quits and come back here to school. And one of my friends, fortunately, uh, he was like one of my best friends in high school. He was actually a year younger and was on like a break up in Lumpy Ridge, um, working at like a YMCA camp, I think, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And we had talked on the phone and I think he could just tell I was whatever you want to call it. I, at the time I wouldn't have called it depressed, but now I'm like, Oh yeah, that was like an athlete who was like removed from sport. And then like, what's the next thing? Um, I just think I was like pretty lost. And so he invited me to go up to Lumpy Ridge and just, I think really just hang out with him. I don't really know if he even told me they were going climbing, but as soon as they started, I was like, bro, I'm not doing that. Like y'all <laughs> continue on. Uh, this is awesome to watch, but I'm here to like hike and hang out and, Anyways, I think, uh, something clicked that day to where I was just thinking to myself, you know, I was an athlete. This is the outdoors. This does something for like my brain and my, my mental health. And, um, but also like I see the physical side of it and the challenge of like not being good at something. And, uh, so I didn't, didn't climb that day, but I moved back. I traveled back to Oklahoma 
and contacted another friend immediately. And he took me to the silos, which was like an old school yeah. climbing gym downtown. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I climbed there twice. And then ironically enough, the second time in there, I met my wife. Um, so she was in the bouldering room by herself and yeah, I somehow mustered up the, the confidence through like my chacos and tie dye shirt to like go up to this girl. I mean, like, yeah. Like classic dirtbagger chic. Yeah. And if you asked her, it was, it was a massive fib. Cause I think I went in there and I said something like, Oh yeah. Like my friends and I, we go climbing outside like all the time together. And this is my second time in the gym, like let alone. I mean, dude, I give you props for going in swinging. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Something, maybe it was some substance I had before. Uh, I don't know what it was, but uh, fortunately got the confidence to do that. And then we just started climbing together. And ever since then, man, it's like just what we did. And we were broke college students. So it was like our vacations would just be like going sleeping in the dirt in Arkansas and climbing and beautiful. Yeah. I mean, fast forward a bunch and <clears throat> I've worked in all sorts of different roles in the outdoor industry and then eventually wanted to do this place. So what, uh, so when was the transition, I guess, like when was the moment that you actually moved into the climbing industry as a whole? Like what was the pre the baby step to that? And then like, how did you get into that? Because I think it's important to kind of set that tone to like how this beautiful behemoth was created mm -hmm. because I think this, this episode is very important to me because I think there's a lot of people who like small town America is a big thing. Like mm. most of America is rural. So like, like that's just the reality of it. Like we like to think that the big cities are it, but that's not the bulk of America. Right. And it's, and that's not it. And so I, this is very important to me because I want to see this reproduced. Like I want to see this more of this and making climbing accessible and making it accessible in small town America and communities that are either underprivileged or kind of everywhere. Because like, I think this or model, just don't have access. Like, yeah. Just yeah. like, that's the key is thing. Yeah. Like, just like, if you can just get people to the wall yeah, and like, we can, like, I don't know. I, I know, I've said this to me, even when I'm running my guiding company, I'm like, listen, if, let me just get you the wall. We'll figure out money and payment mm -hmm. things later. Like that's, it's not important. What I, what I want you to do is just like, see if this vibes with you. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of going on a rant because no, I, both, yeah. Yeah, we, <laughs> I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. We both love climbing. Um, but, yeah. uh, yeah. So like, what did you do before? Yeah. What, what was like the pre-careers and like, how did you, how, yeah. Yes. So like I said, I had amazing parents when I quit baseball and I started climbing, I think my parents knew that like something was happening that was very right for me, um, mm -hmm. at that stage of life. And, I was dating Mariah. Uh, we, so it was probably two years into my climbing career, whatever you want to call it. So I started in 2009. So this is probably 2011. Uh, we had been dating for a few years together. And I think uh, at that point, I'd at least dropped out of college once. This is a chance. This might have been the time where I was like thinking about dropping out for a second time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at that, I don't know, just <clears throat> it felt like I didn't have direction. Um, so my amazing parents, uh, my mom, who's just like a warrior and she's also like a nurturer and like just cares so much about everyone. Um, like when she doesn't have someone to care about, she goes out and like finds that person that she could care. That's it's awesome. crazy. Such That's a good awesome. mom. Um, and I was that person for a lot of my tr troubled high school and college <laughs> uh, years. But so she was talking to a friend and the friend mentioned a Knowles course. So Knowles is national outdoor leadership school. Um, 
And at the time my mom was like, Hey, if you hate being in the classroom, like what if we helped you fund this like Knowles course, you can get college credit for it. Uh, and at the time I'm like, I'd started looking through the online courses and I was like three weeks rock climbing in the backcountry of Wyoming. Yeah. I think I might be into this. Like <laughs> we should do it. Uh, so uh, just crazy privileged and, uh, fortunate to have parents like that. that were like, Hey, we want to help you figure it out. Um, and dude, it was like, it was totally life changing. I went on the Knowles course, uh, <clears throat> first and second day. It's like, if no one knows anything about Knowles, you like put your cell phone in a locker and like leave your life behind to like go out in the wilderness for three weeks. Um, which sounds like kind of cool, but I think <clears throat> whenever you do it, it actually becomes like really intimidating. <laughs> like, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I was dating Mariah for a couple of years and I think day one and two, it was like, okay. And then all of a sudden I was just like, dude, I don't like this. I want to go back. So it's just that funny dance of like, I don't want to be here, but I do really love this. And then after four and five days like that, I, it just gave me margin in my life that where like I didn't have margin to think about the things that I actually wanted to do. If that makes sense. Like yeah, I just didn't yeah. have, I didn't have those times in my day to where I was like, okay, who do you want to be? What do you want to be doing? I was just constantly like thinking about my failures of like, Oh, I'm going to drop out of college again. And what am I going to do for work? And so that being in the backcountry on a climbing trip without a cell phone was like the perfect medicine for me to like, what I would say is like connect with my creator and like understand that I have some sort of calling, some sort of greater purpose. And so when I came back, I was just like total life change. Like, there was a bunch of stuff in our house that I won't mention that like I got rid of that stuff. And I was just like, dude, I'm, I'm in on this thing, whatever this is, I don't know. Uh, and so two blocks down from where we are right now, there's an outdoor shop that I went in there and applied. I was just like, I don't know what I want to do for you guys, but I want to work in the outdoor industry. Like, how do I do it? Um, and so I started working there after a few years, I became the manager and like managed that for five years then a really dope gym called Threshold was rumored to be opening up in town. And I was just like, yes, like I'm in, I've been climbing in a grain silo for, you know, however many years until now. Uh, and I knew the Tarkentons decently mm -hmm. well prior to that. So, um, yeah, I was, I was kind of in on that conversation and then, um, became the head root setter there at that gym and, coached some of the youth team, did a lot of operation stuff. So I really got my feet wet and like what it looks like to like be in a climbing gym and work specifically in that industry and just loved it. Um, but at the same time I was finishing up my degree, which was in exercise science, like kinesiology. And whenever I graduated, <clears throat> I think, um, there were just some things with like, um, and I think that's in any industry. If you work for a place and like you're extremely passionate about it, you have a little bit more of a critical eye. I yeah, think you do. that's true. So I think, uh, there's just some things that were like leading me to probably pursue my degree instead of like staying in the climbing industry. Yeah. Um, and fortunately my degree ended with, a an internship in cardiac rehab at the Oklahoma heart hospital. And so, um, out of my internship, I got hired, which was fantastic. Um, and I got to work like a nurse's shift. So I would work three 13 hour shifts, which meant I had like four days off every single week. Uh, it was incredible. And honestly, if this place ever like dissolved, I might just go back to it. Um, cause I got to work with like, you know, geriatric, like older patients That's and, cool. uh, 
it was, it was so much fun, extremely rewarding. But, um, after a couple of years I could, my personality just gets like pretty restless. And, uh, <clears throat> even with like a good rhythm and, and benefits and time off and all that stuff, I found like on my off days, I was just dreaming about was looking at gyms up in Canada, like block shop and watching oh, videos yeah. like B pump. And I was just like, why do we not have something like this? Uh, and then like knowing, knowing deep down, like what over that 10 years climbing had done for me and just seeing, seeing a gap, uh, mm-hmm. I was just like, there's a gap here. There's cool towns where this thing could happen. And so on my off days, I just started writing a business plan and that's like the long story of how, how we got to kind of where we are. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Did, do you think your time in the hospital kind of like, I don't know, I, I'm just thinking about you working with patients and now there's, there's a lot of tenderness. There's a lot of, you know, it's a, it's a wild ride of emotions. Like mm-hmm. I've never worked in the medical field, but I work with kids on a regular basis yeah. and <laughs> they're wild enough. Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine that. But I will say like, if it was not working for children, I would not be the person that I am and tempered and as well, and, and as well as as good of a communicator to communicate with people, to get them into climbing or to express this sport. And so I think children taught me, um, they, I had patience, but children taught me how to listen and absorb with patience Mm. because I think a lot of times, and I'm guilty of this, you know, you, people have patience, but they're not paying attention. And so was there anything that you learned in your time in the hospital that you think that had kind of really prepared you for what you're doing now? Oh man. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, tenderness is like, that's like the biggest and not everyone has it when they work in that industry, I think. But like for me, tenderness was uh, like something that was just crucial to being a good employee. Cause like these people just went through a massive life event. How do you define tenderness? And like, I guess it makes sense there, but how do you define tenderness in the concept of here? Yeah. It's like our vision uh, is to be the leading bouldering venue for warm hospitality and captivating climbing experiences. It's beautiful. So warm hospitality probably just funnels out of that of like, okay, someone who just went through this life event, they had a heart attack, they had an open heart surgery, and we're going to go through an exercise program with them. Like that needs some care and like very gentle care from beginning to end. And then honestly, does it ever end? I don't, Mm -hmm. probably not. Um, And it's the same here, you know, like those two doors, we talk about them a lot as like, they're, that's still like a barrier for us. So like when someone walks through the door, providing warm hospitality. Uh, and that for us means a lot of different things. Um, and we coach staff on that regularly of like, what does warm hospitality look like? Um, I think that the hospital most definitely prepared me to have an even greater soft spot for that, for sure. Um, coming into the climbing industry and just knowing like, <clears throat> like we talked about, you know, it, we know the sport and it's not just climbing. Climbing mm-hmm. is our thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, CrossFit for some people, for others, it's, you know, jazzercise or bowling, like whatever it is, like, <clears throat> but really like that, like there's studies out there that talk about the mental health of doing these things that are physically active that provide not only physical, but mental benefits. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, I think that, um, it's a huge part of who Blockworks is. Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the, a question I like to ask is like, when you do get hooked on climbing, I think you said that. So I guess what, what about climbing is so special to you 
that you made you bring forth this idea? Like, why is climbing special to you? Like, what does it do for you? What does it do for me? <laughs> I guess the real question Now that is, I'm a gym owner, it literally is my life. Uh, <laughs> it, it was before too, but. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Why is it special? It, it changes. Um, I think it, it has been a lot of different things from the beginning. It was, uh, it was what my, my girlfriend and I did together. <clears throat> and then like the gym owner at the silo was the first one to hand me a T wrench and be like, Hey, you want to start turning holds? And like, I couldn't, I think the, the caveat was like, don't move them, but like, yeah, sure. You can turn them and like put new tape underneath them and like build new boulders and stuff. So like <clears throat> it was, uh, and this isn't something I talked about, but probably maybe the biggest thing that made me open a gym was like, my dad is an architect that broke off from his firm probably when I was like eight or nine years old, maybe I was 10. Um, but he started a small business, like his own architecture firm. Oh, wow. And I think I, when I first opened this place, I think I took that for granted a lot, but like I was around small business my whole life. I just didn't really know it. Um, or didn't think about it in that way. But now that I'm here, I'm like, Oh, I was just normalized. It was something yeah. I saw. So that's yeah. a blessing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a blessing to understand that. Like, cause I don't think that's something I know that's not something I had. I, I grew up with my parents basically having normal, normal jobs. Like my dad had two or three jobs growing up. My mother had one job or two jobs growing up. And I come up from a family of like, just hustling. Like mm. we like, okay. Like, like I don't, I don't want to say money was never right. And money was never tight and money was never right. But cash flow was like mm. understanding cash flow was a very, very crucial part of my life. Like understanding like when things are coming in, when we can do this, when you do that. And I think that is something that like, if you don't understand that's it. And if you grow up in that world, understanding it, you just have this instincts. And that's kind of cool that that's how you, that's kind of cool that like walking into this and creating this, you kind of, it felt natural for mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh, it's just something I saw every day. So, um, <clears throat> yeah. And then I, I guess, so it was like what I did with my girlfriend and then the root setting side of it was probably like my dad being an architect, I was always really interested in like clean lines and design mm -hmm. and all that, like the aesthetic side of things. Um, I don't think my root setting early on reflected that it's like definitely gotten better over time. Uh, yeah, and then sometimes it does. Yeah. And then sometimes it's gone too far to where it's like, Oh, it has to look good. And it doesn't even matter if it climbs good. Um, oh, but I've, I've definitely swung all over the place on that. I, I put some trash on the wall. <laughs> I never forget Chris. I was like, I put this boulder on the wall and Chris was telling me this thing looks like garbage and I like climb it. And Chris got on and he was like, all right, that was pretty, that was pretty wild good. ride. That means a lot coming from Chris too. Yeah. Good, I, I was super, I was super stoked <laughs> flow when he Crasto. said that. I was just like, yeah, the flow band, the uh -huh. flow master. That's what I like to call Chris and Crasco. The flow, flow Crasto is what we'd always call him during, uh, -huh. uh when we were always four running together. Yeah. Yeah. So I get, so how long has the gym been here now? So we opened in February of 2020. All right. Beautiful. So. And then. What services do you provide uh, that for someone to come in right off the street? Like mm. what can they expect for signing up a member, signing up and getting a membership with you? Yeah. The main, the main way to interact with our facility that we see people do most commonly is a membership. So mm -hmm. like any other, you know, CrossFit, Orange Theory, that type of stuff, it's unlimited. So you come in and the gym is yours, um, for that monthly fee. And then the other way is like a lot of people like to dip their toes in and just see if climbing is for them. 
Uh, so obviously we do day passes mm -hmm. and punch passes for the people that are like maybe out of town or they're a member at another gym and they like to climb here. Um, and then youth programs is a huge thing for us. Um, because we're so small and because we're so focused on like young adult, like culture and community and like the honestly that's who we root set for is like primarily that like mm -hmm. a little bit, you know, seven to 10 years and older demographic. Um, we like to funnel a lot of our youth interactions towards our programs and not okay. as much towards like, Hey, just drop in and like burn some energy. Um, no, that's beautiful. That's like, that's with <clears throat> intent. I think that's something that's lost a lot. Um, I've been doing this series in Texas, uh, that I've been working on. I'm trying to interview every youth coach in the state of Texas. Uh, Currently there's like 38 of them and I've got like 15 people done. No more than that, like 20 people done. I think there's a few more now, but it's every youth coach at my level, not at like, Team Texas, you know, World Cup level, everybody below, because in my opinion, that demographic is just lost in the wayside. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> no one's really paying attention to the kid, like little Johnny that can climb V7, but he can't climb V10. So he's uh -huh. not on an elite team. Like but that kid, that's the kid who's going to grow up, probably going to stay in town, probably going to have more kids, probably going to have more people and probably bring more people to the gym than the kid who's going to world cup circuits right. at all. And so it's very important to me. And that's pretty freaking cool. I did not realize I was looking at your boulders actually. And I was actually funny. I was looking at it and like, I was like, okay, the hard stuff is real hard, <laughs> but then everything else I was looking at, I was like, okay, this is pretty manageable. And it's funny that you said that because my caliber for a gym, when I first walk into it, I think of three kids in each one of my programs, you know, the top tier, the middle tier and the bottom tier. And I'm like, the very first thing I do in each program is I walk around a gym and I can imagine, I, can, I try to imagine if the kid can walk up, read the route and onsite it. Mm. And if like a gym cannot, and if, if I walk into a gym and would, I would say at least 50% of the kids in all my tiers in my head can't onsite it. I'm not saying the gym is less of quality by any means, but what I do feel is, is, they are missing out on a large demographic and they're leaving money on the table yeah. for customer satisfaction and customer experience, which yeah. is, which ultimately is what we're in the business for. We're in the business to create a lifelong experience that just hooks you and you want to come back and rock climb every day. Because yeah. That's what we want to do. <laughs> so, so when you, you think about those three kids, how would they do in our gym? I think they would do great. Like I can think of, uh, this little kid, uh, we have this, two French sisters named Lena who, uh, Lena and Morgan, who are at the like top tier of their groups and they would come in here and smash. And, but then <clears throat> there's some stuff down here. I see that they would get like really shut down on, but then we have the group that we call the little littles and they're teeny. And there is, uh, this little kid named Graham and Isaiah Graham, we call, he just won the heartbreaker award. We do these like little silly awards. Yeah. Every year. <laughs> awesome. So we do an after, after, after holiday party. So I do our Christmas party after New Year's because like parents are so busy with yes. everything else. And so, but we gave this kid, cause he has the best hair at practice all the time. So he, he has the heartbreaker award. Nice. But he's like seven. So he doesn't <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, Graham would come in here and smash. But then we have a kid named Andrew who's newer on the team and Andrew would not smash as well but he would have a glorious day because he'd walk up to me and he'd be like, I sent a couple of but I got it halfway up. Most of them I'm nice. super excited. And he would be like amped about it. Yeah. And I think that's like, you know, 
And I think that's like the key thing is the thing I like that you have here is like, it's easy for me to redefine the, based on what I see. It's easy for me talking to kids to redefine success to them. Cause that's mm. like the hardest thing. Cause like with children, if it's not an A plus, you got an F. Yeah. And if you come from parents who are like very, like if you weren't first, you're last, if blah, 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 blah. And it's like redefining what success is, is a key thing. And what I always try to tell kids is like success is a build mm -hmm. and they don't understand that at a young age, but I'm like, so I always say success is Legos. And they're just like, what? I'm like, when you get the first set of Legos, is that a, a, to build your little thing? Is some, is that challenging? They're like, no, it's not that hard. I'm like, oh, that's like climbing white boulders, V zeros, VBs. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, I was like, now what if we need to build and we're building like a Lego beach? What if we need to build like the sand and all that? That's not that hard. And I'm like, oh, so that's like V2. And like, I then talk about how success is Legos mm -hmm. because you have to redefine it for them. And so I'm kind of going on this weird tangent here. <laughs> I but love this, it. <laughs> but this is how I explain it to the kids. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and because every kid knows Legos and every parent has stepped on them at least once. Yeah. Um, I love that. Like redefining success. Cause like you asked like why climbing and that that's like a massive part, at least for me, but I know other people, it can take longer to get bit by the bug because it is so much failure in the beginning. Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of us who like love it, it's because it's because of the hard days. And then you come in, you have a really good day. You're like, yes, that was, that. there's not much like that. Like right now I've, climb maybe one day a week and I do tons of, uh, riding my bike. I recently got into like gravel racing and stuff oh, nice. out of COVID and whatnot. Like just, uh, pulled my mountain bike out because we had to shut down the gym. I was like, Oh, I need to go hang out by myself. And we were pregnant with our first kids. So I rode my bike a ton. And anyways, I feel like, you know, gravel riding and stuff like there's just, it's not that hard to feel successful. Like mm -hmm. you can go out on a big day and you get home. You're like, that was a good day. But like yeah. climbing is just always in your face of like, okay, I have to be like fluid. I have to be able to adapt. I have to, and then here it's like, if I'm struggling on a boulder and like a customer walks up, like I need to be joyful. And like, cause mm -hmm. at the end of the day, like we do love this sport. Um, and we know that like, the work we put in, like we'll eventually have a payoff, but um, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, it's pretty unique. I think uh, not a lot of, we try to talk to parents about that. of like, Hey, this can really teach your kid how to deal with failure. And they'll be like, Oh, okay. That sounds good. But then after two months, you talk to that parent and they're like, wow, he's like, there's been a huge mental change in my kid. Oh, oh, because, it, forces, it forces it upon you. Yeah. Because like, because you either, you either just, I think the thing with it is, is this is, people are going to hate me for saying this, but like, I think bullies need to come back to a certain extent and people need to be bullied, but rock climbing is the bully. Mm. But it's the, it's, but the thing is, is you can defeat it. You can conquer it. And yeah. I'm not saying people need to be mean or anything like that. I'm not stating that, but you, the thing with climbing is so unique and especially from the perspective, it doesn't matter adult or a child. Uh, I was going to say from a kid, but it's a sport where you just have to openly be okay with going back to a place where you just had your butt handed to you uh -huh. and you just have to walk in. And some people who are more emotionally attached to that situation, let's say, I'm not, I'm not one of those people. I'm like, if I get my butt handed to me, I get mad. Uh -huh. I definitely lose my temper. But then I also kind of laugh at it because I'm like, Oh, like you have that aha moment. And I think that that's something that is hard for people to really kind of grasp. Yeah. And I think just like, if you're a person who takes it really personally and like, if you're a person where the, 
I have come to realize there are people who live in this world and believe the world is happening to them. And there are people in this world who believe the world is happening around them. Mm-hmm. I am personally one who believes the world is happening around me. <laughs> and I find if you're someone who believes the world is happening to you and most people who are that way, don't believe, don't know they think that way. Um, I think that it's a very hard pill to swallow. And I think this sport is a really great catalyst for growth because you kind of have to reconcile with that very quickly. And yeah, I don't know. Like, totally agree. Yeah. Climbing's heavy. It's like, it's real <laughs> heavy. I always like metaphor. It's funny. My friends get so annoyed with me because I can relate any life metaphor to rock climbing yeah. whatsoever. Like no matter what it is, yeah. rock climbing and food. I can, I can relate anything to rock climbing and food. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> So I, uh, so we've kind of learned a little bit about your gym and we've learned a little bit about your history and your family. And so I guess, you know, a question that I would want to ask for you, like what, okay, this is actually a question that we're going to ask in the interview series when we're here in your gym today. What makes climbing, why is climbing so social? Why is it so social? Yeah. Why is it such a social phenomenon? Um, this is interesting from your perspective as a gym owner. Yeah, I think again, back to like climbing changing for me over the years, I think it is different for every person. Um, Like for some people, I think they find out don't want climbing to be social. Like owning a gym, I have some people that come in and like they really don't want that part of it. Really? (laughs) Um, I mean, I know those, I see those people with headphones on, but is it it more off? Is that more often than not? No, they're definitely the exception. Yeah, most people, I don't know if it's some sort of personality trait, like lens outdoorsy people to like want to, to talk about and hang out with others. And, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I don't think climbing is, is unique in that again, back to cycling and, uh, any other thing. Like there's a lot of things that not to get too philosophical on what I believe, oh, do, but oh, do preach preacher. Preach. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, ju- I just think like it's what like community and like being around people, being for other people. Mm. I think it's, kind of what we were created for. So I I think, I think that, um, I think that it's hard to look at climbing and be like, Oh, well climbing is so social because it's something that climbing offers. When really it's just like people, human beings come into our gym and they're around other human beings and you see it flourish. You're like, Oh yeah, of course this is working because we're all behind screens and cell phones and all that stuff all the time. But yeah, I would agree. And that's why we personally, I mean, there's insurance and, anxiety and all that stuff of why we haven't done a rope gym, but that's why we stuck with bouldering is because it's so easy to force community. Yeah. Like when you come in our gym, 98% of the people are on their butts talking to people and there's a 2% that's on the wall. Like it's pretty great. So, um, yeah, we just, we, we enjoy the environment that a bouldering gym offers. I think any sport that involves you being under the sun is something that kind of forces a little community because when you're out in nature and you're kind of exploring in the vastness and the world of it all, even if you're super experienced, I have found that you still need a little bit of help time to time. Mm-hmm. And you still, and it's just, it's just, it's, it's enjoyable to take in the moment. And I, this has definitely been a growth edge for me. It's enjoyable to take in the moment and then basing at the glory of a Canyon or a Valley or anything like that. And it's great to take a photo of it but it's better to share it with yeah. someone. It's much better to share it with someone. I used oh, yeah. to be very much the other way. I'm like, I'm out here just doing my thing. Uh-huh. But you know, it's lonely. Yeah. It is lonely. And it's, it's something that I've definitely had to learn uh, along, along the way. And I think that's something that 
whether it's mountain biking, whether it's kayaking, whether it's that, I just think outdoor adventure sports are unique in maybe not so much building community, but quickly solidifying bonds. Mm. Because especially when you're like, you know, I mean, I don't know if you've ever done any big wall or multi-pitch or anything like that yet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But like, you can think about it. Like I have very vivid memories with those partners and very vivid moments where I'm like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And I remember my buddy will looking at me and was like, I know you don't want to do it. I don't, I don't want to do it, but we can't go down. Yeah. We're like past the point of return. He's like, he's, and he, you know, you know what I mean? Like there's a point where it's like, it's more dangerous to try to rip, it's more dangerous to try to bail uh-huh. than it is to like, just continue to go up. And so the only way is off is up. And I, I personally live for those moments. That's why I love, yeah. I love big wall. I love like, <clears throat> I love being put in a spot where it's just like, like in the moment, if you watch me, it looks like I'm having the worst time of my life. Yes. But I was just recently climbing in Chattanooga uh, with my friend, Andrea Hassler. And she was like, Oh, you should do this route on T wall. And I had done it before years ago. And I just, like, I didn't remember it. And it's to the, it's to, it's a little bit to the right of the pursuit of excellence. And it's just to the right of, I think it's flight of the Falcon is what it's called. It's to the right of that. There's this like 10 finger crack. So you go up this five, nine, five, eight thing, but then you traverse out into like this openness which when I say the openness is nowhere, it's like no bigger than this. Like the traverse is no bigger than this big giant uh, blocks, trying, uh, yeah, blocks uh, volume right behind us. Yeah. Maybe two of them put together. But then like, if you fall on the first move, like you're penduling down right into the thing. Yes. And I just remember being like, and I go back and she yelled up. She's like, you don't have to do it. I was like, I know, I know, I know, I know. And I went up there and I like bled through the whole climb. <laughs> I did it. And then it's like, you do this like 10 C finger crack trad thing. It's not finger locking, but and then you get up to this run out V4, V3 boulder that you've got to do on mossy rock to this like blind throw, this slopey juggy catch. And then you just palm press and then kind of reach around and grab a jug and you pull the chains. And I just remember lying over the edge and I was like, oh man, I think I just beat on myself <laughs> and just like lying there. And I like got up and I was trying to explain to her and a few people, they're like, you know, you didn't really have to do it. And I'm like, I know I didn't have to, but I had to. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think this is where the bonds get built and at least with yourself. I was in a moment where I was like, if I back down from this climb, this is a moment that I'm going to remember and I'm going to give myself an excuse to back down off of other things oh, in yeah. the future. I'm going to be like, well, you know, I did that one climb. It was safe for me to back down. So blah, blah, blah. And I just knew in my heart of hearts and I was like, I don't remember if I've done this climb before. I know this is not outside of my ability. I know I'm not in the best physical shape right now. I know all these things. I know these things. I know these things. I know, I know, I know, I know. But the one thing that I did know is I can do this climb. Mm-hmm. I had 40 reasons why I couldn't do it that were 100% valid, like they, I, and which I would have been perfectly happy with. But there was, but I knew I could and I knew I should. And I'm a, big fan of actually not using the word should, because I don't believe you should should on yourself. And I don't think you should should yourself into doing anything, but there is a moment where it is necessary. Yeah. And I was like, I need to do this because if I walk away from this, I think I'm setting a bad precedence for myself. And then this is why you're hanging from like two jugs too. So you're like, 
No, developing a pump or you're like back no, in a no, corner. I was actually standing nice. on the ledge. <laughs> I'm not going to be very careful. There, there's no <clears throat> glamorous. Now I mean you, when I was in the crack, I was just like, Rah! yeah, like that. But yeah, you know, man, and I, I, I it, I'm going on this big tangent. But no, like, that's pretty resolute to like be able to do that yourself. Yeah. Uh, to be able to like go through those filters. And, and then do you coach the kids that you work with too as well? I used to when we opened, but mm-hmm. now, yeah, we've grown enough to where. Okay. And, and I, I think these are the same lessons. I think this is also what crossed my mind and I'll end it with this is like, this is the same kind of conversation I'm trying to figure out how to have a kid, a seven year old to have. Mm. I'm trying to get a, a five, a four, a seven, a nine, an, a, a 12 year old, nine, 11, and then like a 14 year old to have, because at, and I believe at those ages, the conversation, the conversation is the exact same. The, the age appropriate language is different. Mm. The, con, the conceptualness of it and the understanding of it gets deeper and deeper and deeper because like they'll never remember the conversation that you had at four. Right. But they remember the feeling, you know, and it's like, I say this to parents all the time. It's like kids don't know why they feel happy, sad or that. They just know that they feel it. Yeah. That's all they need to know. Your job is just to navigate them through that. And when they're old enough, or if you have the, the ability to have the age appropriate language, navigate them through it on their own. But remember, you're just a navigator. You're not telling directions. And like, that's like the biggest like thing. And I'm going on this wild tangent. about. Yeah, no, I love it. I have this picture. My wife and I, like we're going to get into scuba diving and stuff. And so oh, nice. we got certified and uh, she, she'd already been certified. She put me through it. How did you feel? Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'll go up. I don't want to go down. Uh, but I was doing it, and we went down to Texas to a scuba park. And I remember, like, you have, like, your your regulator, and then you have, like, a backup or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, it was rental equipment. Well, the hose popped off my regulator, and I was just swimming around. And then all of a sudden, I took a breath and took on water. Well, the first thing you're supposed to do is grab your backup. And we weren't that far down. We're like a scuba park in Texas, maybe like 25 feet or something. And, uh, I like grabbed a carabiner, tinked my tank or whatever. She didn't hear me, but I just like shot up to the top. Cause I had forgotten everything that I learned uh, in my classes. And when I got to the top, I was floating there for like five minutes and she came up and, uh, she was like, where the hell did you go? And I was like, well, oh, this happened, this happened. She's like, okay, put this back on. We're going back down there. Cause if you don't do it now, you'll never do it again. And I was like, I get that. I do. I do get that. Like, yes, I do totally want to walk away from this right now. So yeah, I, that was in my mind the whole time you were telling that story. It's like, Oh yeah, that's, it's awesome. You were able to do that yourself on that route. Cause I it took me having someone else. Cause I just would have bailed. I, but I think the thing is, is I would have been like you and that, cause I'm, that's not my element. Yeah. That's not where I shine. Mm-hmm. I would have been very much like my hose popped out. I taken water up. Your wife would have came up and found me on the boat deck, yeah. <laughs> drinking a glass Sipping of wine, Modellos, yeah. just hanging out. I'd be like, "What's she doing?" I'm like, "I went down to the bottom. I'm done." I'm done. <laughs> yeah, so funny. Oh man, that's <clears throat> wild. Yeah. yeah, man, that's scary. I don't know what it is. Like going underneath. I mean, I know this is stereotypical black, but I have no <laughs> desire to scuba dive. I have no desire to do it. Will I eventually do it? Absolutely. Uh-huh. But does it terrify me? No. I, I'm sorry. Yes, it does. And uh-huh. I know I don't want to do it now. Am I going to? Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. There's cool stuff to see at the end of the day. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> it's the, it's the last, I think they say the ocean is the most unexplored frontier in the entire world. Mm-hmm. Like, the majority of it is undiscovered. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. My wife was like, 
so she has her master's in microbiology. Oh. So she studied like tick-borne pathogens and stuff. That makes and sense. She had some good friends, obviously through her master's program that they were like doing tons of studies, cool studies like in the ocean. So yeah, she did a lot more diving than me. She went down to like the Cayman Islands and like visited her friends and went diving and she would come back and I was just like, it sounds awesome. I don't want to do it. <laughs> Let's go on a climbing trip. But Yeah. <clears throat> so what's the next evolution for this gym and what's the next evolution for you guys? Like where, where would you like to see, you know, Blockworks in the next five years? So we, um, I mean, there's kind of two things that we focus on. Obviously I was a root setter who opened up a gym. So like root setting and having a gym that, um, feels like that's a priority to mm-hmm. our customers um, is like one of our biggest things. Like we just want people to know that like putting plastic on the wall is a huge deal to us mm-hmm. um, and doing it in a way that like rewards people when they should be rewarded and challenges them when they want to be challenged. And like, so that meets all, all the things. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I think when we initially opened, we were kind of like that by climber for climber mentality. Mm-hmm. Um we haven't gotten rid of that by any means, but I definitely know that, that, um, there's just after operating for three years, you're like, okay, how do we continue to like get new people in us? Not just because it helps our numbers and helps our business grow, but because like, we do know that this impacts people and I'm not just here to impact like hardcore rock climbers. Like no. I want to, I want to get someone super pumped on like a crazy V zero we set that has like these massive volumes and you're like, crawling. And yeah, I think that there's, there's just lots of cool stuff. So I want to continue to focus on that. Root setting is always going to be a priority of, of block works. Um, and then the people putting the people first. So I think the answer to that question is like, if there's towns that we can go into that we feel like need what we offer, then we want to do it to the exact same quality that we do it here. Um, and kind of do the same thing. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. I think, um, thank you. I don't, I don't think it's like revolutionary. There's people all over the U S that are like doing it. Um, no, I think it's probably pretty revolutionary. I think, I think the difference between you and granted, like I've spent most of my career climbing indoors in gyms and I make it a point everywhere I travel to go to a gym. Like if there is a city, I go out of my way, even if it's like two hours out of a way where I'm staying to go to gyms and just, and I'm also that guy who has tons of climbing experience but I'm like, they're like, oh yeah, you've been climbing for a while. I'm like, you can just skip. I'm like, nope, I want to go through your full orientation. Uh, and they're like, nice. They're like, what? And I'm like, nope, nope, nope. I'll yeah. take the blade. Make test. me I'll take, take a practice test. fall. Yeah. <laughs> everything. Because I'm astonished. Mm. I'm just astonished at like, wh- I've learned things from gyms and I've definitely taken away things where I'm like, oh wow, this is okay, cool. And there are some things where I'm like, I've had to like, I, I've, and I've had some, tactful, kind, and colorful conversations with management of like, okay, what is, what's the purpose behind this? Mm. And some purposes I've heard, like, we don't have any purposes. It's just what we do. And some people are like, well, we believe this, this builds better climbers and builds better this, you know? And you'd be in 20 years, you'd be surprised what I've heard a Mm -hmm. lot. And what I am going to tell you right now is what you have said is unique because most gyms, in my opinion, and I say this is only my opinion, and, and, and I've traveled majority of the gyms in the lower 48 and a lot on the East Coast and a lot on the West Coast, but um, 
most gyms are built on three principles. Five climbers, four climbers. That's the end of that conversation. And they don't really care about anything else. Two, just trying to make money. Mm. They just like, they have people, they have investors, they have people they're trying to pay back. Like that's, that's really all they're trying to do. At I the end of the that. day, like the quality of roots, they would rather nickel and dime route setters or like, you know, promote someone up to head route setter that doesn't have the experience just because they know they can underpay them. And yeah. they're like, well, the routes are good enough. I have so many thoughts on that though. Yeah. But. <laughs> that's, that's another episode. We can, we, we can dive into that. Like there's a lot of, uh, uh, I can't say anything without like throwing someone under the bus, but uh, let's just say like there's, there's a lot of that happening in the United States right now, yeah. um, which is really sad. And I think, I think as far as root setting and coaching, I'm hoping, I'm hoping for an opportunity soon to talk at the CWA because I kind of mm. want to like, I want to go on full blast about something. I want to go full black on some people mm. about, um, about root setting and coaching about how these, these are the two most important aspects of the industry yeah. because the industry will deteriorate without good root setting and it will shrivel without good coaching. Yeah. And those are the, like the, and like, that's the end of that, those things. And the, the final thing is, is you, which not a lot of people say the fact of the matter that, your vision is really to just genuinely wholeheartedly expose people to climbing and go into communities that really don't have it, mm -hmm. or maybe even don't even have the largest infrastructure to support a big gym because most big investors, they don't care about this. Yeah. This well, is like, 5,500 5, square foot like, bouldering. Like, this is a waste <laughs> of my time. Like I'm, yeah. I'm a, they're, I don't know. I imagine <laughs> they're going to be like, I'm not going to make my money back for like 25 years from now. This is a waste of time. And I think that's the problem with like big money coming into when you have a lot of suits coming into the climbing industry. Yeah. There are so many of us that are like, like at all costs, we have to protect the sanctity of climbing. And, um, I think by the, yeah, I can say this now, by the time, by the time this episode comes out, uh, the climb will have aired. And I was on that TV show with Jason Momoa and Chris Sharma. And I was like in Spain and Europe and doing that. And I remember, when they were interviewing us, that was one of the things that I was most concerned about. They're like, this is an amazing opportunity for climbing. It's going to grow. It's going to be on HBO. It's going to be on a wide format. And I remember in my interview, when they interviewed me day one, I was like, whatever we do here does not matter if we do not protect the sanctity of climbing and what it is, because it is unique and it is beautiful. It is no more unique than cycling. It is no more unique than kayaking or any outdoor adventure sport. Mm -hmm. The point is, is the outdoors is a gift. It is a God given gift and we need to protect it in all costs. And I think climbing is a really good segue to get people outdoors from indoors. And it is a gift and mm -hmm. it needs to be protected at all costs. Yeah. And I think that is something that your mission statement states really clearly. <clears throat> and you're trying to protect and create and you're open for interpretation and change to that experience. No, oh, it has to. Good, oh. yeah, that's one thing I know about <laughs> just for three years of opening a gym. It's like, you're, and maybe my personality would be you're constantly like, what if we did this like different? What if we did that different? <laughs> it's like, yeah, it can be a crutch sometimes. So I'm glad yeah, I have no, a team of leaders like packing it around me. They're like, hold on, Evan. Like, <laughs> yeah, trust me in my guiding company. I was always like, we can just modify this, do this. Uh -huh. this. And I remember some of my employees were like, 
you can do that. Yeah, we do not have the infrastructure to do this. Depending on other people's personalities, you can really cause a bunch of stress that doesn't need to be needed. Yeah, so that's, yeah. I mean, just recently that vision statement has come to like be an anchor for us to where we would communicate that to staff. Cause otherwise like I come in every other week with a new vision. I'm just like, here's, here's where we're going. Dude, um, I love it, man. So, Dude, yeah. you like dreaming big and dreaming clairvoyantly. So like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, if people want to support this gym who don't live here mm-hmm. or I know they can obviously come here and visit. Um, but if they want to support you or be involved in what you're doing, how can they do that from afar? Man, um, this isn't a great answer, but it's the first thing that comes to mind that this whole gym happened through like conversations is actually at that coffee shop right across the street. I was like, right, my business plan. I looked at the coffee shop owner. I was like, this is what I'm thinking about doing. What do you think? And he was actually the one that helped us get this That's awesome. space where we lease it. Um, but I think like, as long as people are, are talking about climbing and doing climbing, whatever that means for them, where they're at, maybe sharing our social media posts every once in a while. Um, that's all we can ask for really. And then when they're in town, come climb. Sure. A day pass does help, but I think that, um, as long as there's people and I imagine most of the people listen to this who are like passionate about climbing are out there and then sharing that with people, agreed, um, agreed. they're helping our gym by just being a passionate rock climber. Um, like we do, you know, kind of year end review of like who our customer was, how did we get new customers? And like, it just never fails. Like climbers bring climbers in agreed. and like, that's how you get people in the gym. We can like buy billboards and do all this stuff, but it's like, and I want, um, and it's just like the epitome of community, like someone being at a, even if it's a family dinner table and they just like, won't shut up about climbing. They're like, all right, you're going to come climbing with me next time I go to the gym. <laughs> but that's across the U S and across the world. Like that's, yeah. that's, that's, what's going to help us the most is climbing, continue to grow organically the way it is. And then mm-hmm. of course we're going to have to do all the other stupid marketing stuff, yeah, which yeah, is like social, Google AdWords and all that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. My <laughs> brother, every time for, I visit family, he was like, all right, you have the kids for this day to take them to the climbing gym. He's like, he, he doesn't even ask anymore. He's mm, like, he knows. Just and I order. take the kids. I'm like, all right, you for 30, 45 minutes, uncle Mario's going to take you climbing. You can do whatever you want. I'll belay you the next 45 minutes. Uncle Mario's time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's yeah. awesome. Dude, that's, that's beautiful. I, that's mm. kind of cool. I like that. Cause it, it's kind of nice to know that like, <clears throat> I don't know, you don't always hear that gyms are organically growing anymore. And at least from the inside, at, at least at our level, because like we're kind of insulated to it. And I try my best to mm. be on the outside as much as possible from a new perspective. But to me, the world looks like it's just this trust fund money or corporate money coming in. And it's just, and by no means, like, I want to be very clear. I, I have no quarrels with suits. I have no quarrels with trust fund money. I have no quarrels with this coming in. As long as it's coming in by someone who cares and genuinely is passionate about the sport. Mm -hmm. And it's not someone who just like, okay, Bloomberg magazine said, this is the new fortune 500 company and we're just going to get invested in it. And Mm -hmm. we're just going to like, and I think, and I think I personally believe the big corporations that I do know of, most of them I've learned very quickly. Like this has to be run by climbers. Yeah. It like they can back it, but this has to be run by people that care because there's, it's too intricate. There's too much nuance. There's too much like 
faux pas or however you say that faux pas, like, right. like where it's just like feathers can be ruffled. And it's like, it's a very difficult industry to run if you're not passionate about rock climbing. Yeah. Um, you're just like some dude trying to collect the check mm-hmm. and then it, it did. That's like climbing gyms in the nineties. And I would argue, I would be interested to know like what percentage, but most of the gyms in America, even if there's big money, like at some point it filters down to someone who had an idea, was passionate about it, climbing impacted them and now they're doing it. Um, I think most of them are that way. There's a couple of random outliers that I've physically, gyms that I've physically been to that are still run by old trad dads who just don't care. And like they're <laughs> setting for themselves and, and, or, there's a few gyms that have just been bought by like, you know, the local community. Joe Blow had a ton of money and he just, the gym, he just bought it out or built one. And he just thought, cause it was a good idea to make him money. And, you know, and then the rest of the, the rest of the stories are the common issues that we all know, which we won't get into. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I think it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see five or 10 years where it's such an interesting point in the, the gym industry right now. Still, I think so. we're at a pivotal point of shifting. I, I believe, I think Boone is right, man. Boone has been talking about like, I think the, the model of gyms is about to pivot. We are at a pivotal point where the models of gyms is going to begin to shift. We are watching. I believe give you a visual picture. We are watching the damn gates begin to open and just start to see trickles. And it's been so dry so long because mm-hmm. this is the format and I believe you'd say you just see a trickle, a couple trickles, a couple trickles. And within five to 10 years, a stream is going to be happening. And I think within another five to 10 years, it's just going to be, it's full open. It's yeah. full on. I don't know what that's going to look like. Yeah. It'll look very different. I, <laughs> very I, different. At yeah. I mean, like I have a small <clears throat> idea of like how I envision it to be. And this is something I'm going to put in another like solo episode in the future. But like, I think climbing is this is going to be a bold statement and people in Texas are going to hate me for saying this, but I think climbing is going to replace football. I think climbing is going to replace football. Holy smokes. Yeah. I think it's, it's just, it's the natural progression of things because like, I think it's just going to become more accessible. I think it's going to be more accessible to high schools, schools and things like that. And it's more accessible to people at all. I think it's what's going to happen. Mm. And I, and I know it's a bold statement to make and I don't know exactly how it is. And I wouldn't mind ushering it in, but I think it's eventually going to do that because, mm-hmm. you know, just you're, you're a father, you know, and then at the end of the day, I know whenever I have kids and I'm not saying football is bad or terrible, I'd rather my kids climb mm. than do that. I'd rather my kids play basketball. I'd rather my kids play baseball. I'd rather them play a lot of things. And I think certain sports are slowly going to begin to usher their way out but the reality of it is, is the cost to, to risk ratio is just too high. Yeah. It's too high. I'm play devil's advocate a little bit. Cause I feel like we have to think about why football is so successive or successful. And it's because it can be consumed so easily. And I think climbing is like, even <laughs> I think of whatever, six or seven years ago, like, and I still never miss like an IFSC, especially a Boulder World Cup or whatever it is. Uh, we try to show them here at the gym and stuff. But like maybe my immediate family members, I've gotten them psyched on like watching an IFSC, but it's just so hard to consume if you're not. Whereas like football is like, I can consume that. And it also involves so many other things like a bunch of food and cheap beer and 
So I think the climbing consumer can, part of it. I is. think climbing will eventually <clears throat> consume all those other aspects, all those marketing aspects that are tied onto it. But right now it is a niche sport. But the reason why football is successful is right. It's so easily consumed because it can be done everywhere. Yeah. And the only reason why it's done everywhere is because it's done in public schools. Mm. And I think that's why it's effective. The thing that makes climbing hard outdoors is because you have to travel somewhere and go it. But I think if climbing gyms, if every, if every climbing, if every school had a climbing wall of some decent sorts in their basketball arena, basketball area, that was, you know, I don't know, like behind the bleachers or whatever. I'm, the, I'm not, I'm not an architect. Your dad is, so we can talk to him about this. <laughs> But, um, I think if every school had that, I think it would change. Yeah. I think you would see, I would, I think you would see this huge growth in this kind of culture and community. And I think it would be the great equalizer for boys and girls. Yeah. Cause that's why I think it's going to take over because yeah, cause girls but, are better at climbing. <laughs> a billion times better. A billion times better. Yeah. Especially the little ones. I mean, you're like, and that boy's just doing a pull up his yeah. whole time here. <laughs> I always tell parents, I'm like, you don't understand. Like a seven year old girl can beat the crap out of a seven year old boy. They're it's crazy. stronger. It's, wild. it's not until the boy hits like 12 or 13 where testosterone kicks in. Yeah. But I've literally watched girls just like run laps. And they finally understand how to use their feet. It's like, oh, oh my God. It's a whole other <laughs> but you know, I think that's the thing about like climbing. Like when I do mock comps in my gym, I don't do cat. I don't do gender categories. Mm. We don't like the boys climb with the girls. And that's like the biggest thing that parents and other athletes and coaches tell me, like when they come in to see the sport, they're like boys and girls train together. And they're like, well, they have to. Mm. And I'm like the boys and the girls won't get any better. And me as a coach, I'm always telling my athletes. I'm like, I, like, I just told one of my kids, her nickname is Anchilada. Uh, cause she climbs, some, she does some moves that are pretty spicy. Sometimes they're like enchilada, get a little too spicy back off the caliente. But then I've coached her since that she was like seven years old. So I'm kind of partly responsible for all of that. So I just have to like take it in strides. But, um, she, I, I was just literally talking to her yesterday. I'm like, you've been climbing with the boys a lot, haven't you? And she's like, she sinks down and she's like, and then she's, I'm like, you're not using your feet anymore. Mm. And then she's like, yes, I am. And I show her a video of what she just did. And she's like, oh, and then it's vice versa. I do this all the time. And I, and I, that's one of my coaching strategy is I pair kids into groups for the whole months and pair them with different athletes that have are stronger at different attributes. Yeah. And so it's like, it, it's a part of like the social science behind it, I guess. But getting back to the point is. I think it has a chance to do it if we are ushering it in, in a way where we can continue to make the sport accessible because it's <clears throat> climbing is inherently dangerous, but I don't think from a longevity standpoint, it's inherently dangerous as contact sports. Yeah. From what we see yeah. you know, I don't think it's inherently <clears throat> dangerous as sports that, that you need serious padding and protection for, you know, the only other sports, you know, and, and I'm not saying these sports need to go away, but the reality of it is, is I think you just build a better community when you have a sport that's co-ed, mm. co-ed run, co-ed coach and more accessible. And I think that's really important. And I, that, that's why I say that, mm -hmm. but we're going on this, uh, rabbit train of all over the world. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah uh, Man, I want to thank you for your time and I want to thank you for letting me be in your gym. And is there any shout outs or anything you want to say hello to anybody? Uh, and, you know, 
Sure. Your, this is your podcast at this moment as much as it is mine. Oh man. Um, shout outs. There's, yeah, it's hard to, like I said, this whole thing was kind of done based on conversations and then, you know, employees that have like been here before, um, but they're not with us anymore for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like we, we've made bad decisions at times. We make good decisions we've been good bosses and bad bosses. And, but just to know that like, uh, yeah, we've loved everyone we've gotten to work with from the person who owns the building to every staffer we've ever had. Uh, and we'll have, so shout out to the people that make up block block works for sure. Um, and then like we, we're super proud to like work with, uh, Entrepreneur when we opened up. So they did all of our walls, flashed at our flooring. Um, like all that stuff was just super flawless for us. We had an amazing experience. Um, so because I know someone who's opening up a gym might listen to this, um, the entrepreneur is a wall manufacturer and Flash's flooring was as good as it can get in the climbing industry. And we would totally do it again and we'll do it again. Um, so yeah, those people are, are fantastic. And then I want to shout out to the industry just as like a, a massive, uh, maybe people are doing this really well and I just don't know about it, but being a, a smaller bouldering gym, a lot of the root setting talk in America goes towards USA competition setting, goes to IFSC setting. And I think as the industry grows, whatever we were talking about five to 10 years, there's, there's this massive thing in my mind that for me at least, and this is just an opinion, like commercial setting is so much more interesting to me. Um, I love setting commercial climbs and I love watching people do it. Um, I lo- like, well, I love watching people set commercial climbs. Like the summit guys back in the day when I started Lacrasto and, um, you know, Tucker, like all those guys, like I used to just watch them set and it was just like, this is incredible. And I would go down there to like when the Denton gym opened and I would just like get smoked for like four hours and think that every boulder was incredible. And at that time it wasn't about comp style. It wasn't any of that stuff. It's just commercial setting extremely fun, extremely challenging. And I just want that to be more of a conversation because I feel like just, it's so cool to talk about comp setting and, and it is. post videos on Instagram of like a comp boulder. But like, I just would love to see, you know, like Nathan at Rock Candy, he, yeah. he hosts some really cool free clinics for root setters. And a lot of those like by Ward and those guys are about commercial stuff, uh, commercial setting. And I would just love to see that continue to grow. Cause I feel like, um, yes, we need more setters who are qualified to set USA and IFSC stuff, but man, at the gym level, like owning a gym, we also need root setters that, um, just want to make fun climbs. Yeah. want to make, yeah. Good climbs. They want to love their job. They want to see great growth potential in their job as a commercial root setter. Um, and I, I do think a lot of that weight, rightly falls on the gyms right now. Like, Hey, it's your job as a gym owner to develop a root setting program that makes these people feel valued and and like they have growth. But, um, I don't know. I just, I don't have the answers. I've been operating here for three years. I still set every Thursday. I don't know when I'll stop. If we do more gyms, I'll, I would love to set more than one day a week. Like don't stop. Yeah. uh, It's like the one thing I miss a lot. Like I don't have the time to do it, doing this podcast and doing other endeavors. But like, it's probably the one thing I miss more than anything else. Yeah. The times I get burnt out, I'm like, I just need an off week. And I take an off week. I'm like, okay, I need to be back. (laughs) I'd always find like when I get burned out of route setting, then I'd go on a climbing trip and I'd be like, the first thing I get back, I'm like, I want to make like the easiest simulator of this route. 
Like uh-huh. actually that was probably one of my most proudest moments. I made a simulator of uh, wife in the fast lane is sport climb and Rhymer's ranch. It's okay. probably it's the best five ten in the state, hands down the best five ten in the state until, until I bolt the next one. <laughs> I didn't bolt this one, but um, until I do that, but um but I made a simulator of it and it was like a very commercial style thing. But then this guy got on it and I, he was like, man, this thing is really fun. It was a route that I set in the gym back in Dallas rocks days. And then I was like, dude, you gotta go to the, to rhymers and do this route. And then he came back like three weeks later and he was like, you basically set almost the same, like, sequence leading up into it. And I was like, did you send the route? And he's like, I flashed it. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, my, and I literally like dropped my drill on the ground. I was like, life is completed. That's awesome. Happy. Uh I was so psyched. I was so so psyched, dude. That's like, that's like, brings me a lot of joy. That's why I like root developing. It's like, Mm, yeah, it's very similar. It is bringing something to life for someone else to have fun on. Yeah. And and I think the nice thing, and maybe, I don't know if you've ever experienced this in the route setting, but like you walk up to someone and they're like, I just climbed that route. And I'm like, what'd you think? And then they immediately go into the same thought train of thought that you had, or when you were putting it on the wall or especially in outdoors, it's like, I see why you did this. I didn't Mm. like it, but man, that sequence, it was just so bold and I did it. And then I was like, what'd you think of the view? They're like, it's pretty spectacular from that spot. Yeah. And I always tell people like one of the, my favorite things to do, I always tell people to do is like, when you pull the crux of a sequence, if you have the ability, just take a look back and see what's you, see what's around you and then go to the chains just for a split second and then go to the chains and then top out and look, or when you're lowering, take a look back at that moment. And it's always a beautiful thing. I, I don't know. Yeah. Climbing's unique in that way. Well, outdoor adventure sports as a whole is unique in that way. It's yeah. like, I have a buddy who talks about the same experience, same experience riding whitewater ra- rapids mm. and kayaking, which to me is very brave. Gnarly. Yeah. Very brave. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've watched them, I've watched them do some waterfall stuff before and I'm like, Whew. and then until you see them pop up, like your whole heart just stops beating. But yeah, yeah. We, we can talk about adventure and climbing forever, but um, I want to thank you for your time. Yeah. I thanks think- for having me. Yeah, you're an amazing human being and I would love to do a follow-up with you and talk with you more about your gym and I want to go rock climb now. Now I still yes. go rock climb. Hey man, there's, so we have the Wichita Mountains, uh, but we also, just this past year, a uh, guy, Sean, who's a local old school crusher, kind of, he's going to be pissed. I said old school. He's not that old. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's bone strong, but yeah. he was kind of the leading guy to start the Oklahoma Climbing Coalition. Um which is awesome that we have. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think when people think of Oklahoma, there's just no climbing, but. Oh, there's a lot. Yeah. Right. So Tulsa and then also the Wichita's, but then there's this whole sector in like Southeast Oklahoma. So you start to get these mountain ranges that spill over from Arkansas and they have a bunch is of that the tail end? Is that the top end of the Kaimichis? Yeah. Yeah. We're like McGee Creek and yeah. the Owashita's all yeah, that stuff. Yeah. I'm familiar. It, it's, isn't the white sides or white wall or white something? Uh, there's or, white rock. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I haven't been there. Okay. Yeah. We need to talk because I've been, uh, <laughs> I have a backstory about like, I was stomping around that part. I was stomping around those parts about 10, 12 years ago. That's terrifying. 
I have a story to tell you. <laughs> I have a story to tell you. I'll just, I'll tell you. You don't this. Really want to stomp around in backwoods, Oklahoma. Oh, I will <laughs> tell. There is a story where I had some interesting comments and or threats that I didn't know that were made towards me, but I was just ignoring. Uh huh. But yeah, but yeah, I was stomping around in uh, solid rebel country ten yep. years ago, but. Yeah, I think Oklahoma, I, I think the two states that are going to revolutionize climbing in the next 10 years is Oklahoma and New Mexico. Ooh, yeah. Oklahoma and New Mexico. And then, but then, and my plan is to make Texas revolution rope sport climbing. Nice. There you soon. go. Yeah. Sit, Craig. Yeah, yeah. Southeast Oklahoma, it'll be interesting to see land access is the hardest issue right now. A lot of it's privately owned or. Yeah. I'm running into that same problem. There's an organization you should reach out to called the SCC, uh, Mm -hmm. Southeastern Climate Coalition based in Chattanooga. That's one of the reasons why I was in Chattanooga this last new year's. I think they might have some sort of relationship with Sean somehow. I could be wrong. It probably is, but they they orchestrated a lot of that. And that's probably who you want to touch base with. But if you, if you ever want connections, I have strong connections there. That's so, awesome, yeah. man. Yeah. Love to see it. Okay. Well then, uh, yeah. Well then let's get out of here and I think you're going Boom. Thank Boom. you, dog. <laughs> Friends and enemies, I hope you enjoyed this. And if you loved it, beautiful. If you hated it, well, you can always unsubscribe, but that's not what we're here for. You know, anytime you step into any big endeavor, you have to understand that you're putting things on the line. You're being risky. But as climbers and as adventurers, I think that's what, that's the stuff that we're made of. Taking these calculated risks, putting things on the line, gambling on ourselves, betting on ourselves is the only thing that we know how to do. And I think that's why this podcast reigns so true. If you're not willing to suffer for yourself and lay all the cards out for yourself, the send that you are aiming to do is not worth it. So as I always say, if you're not suffering, are you even sending at all? You got to ask yourself. Until then, I'm out. (laughs) 